listening to the Retirement Remix Show with financial advisors and hosts Chip Munn, that's me, and John Tate of Signature Wealth Group. Get ready for a bite-sized dose of timely and actionable financial planning and retirement tips alongside remixed retirement stories from real people just like you. Listen in now to be inspired, find direction, and build your own retirement remix. John Tate, what's up, man? Chip Munn, happy Friday to you, sir. Appreciate it. It's good to be back. Always nice to get to meet up. This time, we're actually meeting on an afternoon, so I'm not nearly as sleepy as I normally am when we record. The lighting is so much better in the afternoon. Isn't it, though? It won't be long. We'll have this thing all figured out, man. Before we know it, we'll be doing video, and so that'll just be next level. That will be. I mean, what could we possibly do after that? I'm sure we could find something. I'm not going to even speculate as to what it might be, but at least it gives us something to work towards. So, John, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about dealing with loss, both financial loss and emotional loss. And we have really kind of walked through those things between you and I and some of our experiences, whether it is the loss of a loved one or a business venture that went bad. What have been some of your kind of key takeaways from the last couple of weeks? You know, the things we've talked about that I think others will find interesting, or if you're just listening to this one for the first time, a reason to go back and listen to the previous episodes would be that when it comes to losses, they are just as important for building experience as the times when we win. And so, you know, it's important to, even though it's not popular to talk about financial losses, it's not something that people do very frequently. It's important to review those with somebody, go back over what you did right, what you did wrong, and use that experience to make the next time more successful for you. So that's one of the takeaways. The other one is that when you lose somebody, whether it be a a loved one or a pet even, when you lose somebody important to you, just remember the recovery time is different for everyone. It's personal and it can take different periods of time for everyone to kind of resolve within themselves what just happened. And so you may feel outside pressure to get over your grief, to move on sooner than you're ready. And just remember that it's different for everybody. You can take as much time as you like to get over grief and to kind of move through your problems as they are your own. One of the things that we talked about in both scenarios was the importance of involving your team, pulling together your financial experts who can help you kind of take an outside view of your situation so that you can really make the next right decision, which in a lot of cases is difficult. And so today, John, we're joined by Kelly Shovlin. Kelly is an estate planning and an elder law attorney with Four Pillars Law Firm in Wilmington. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to speaking with y'all. Absolutely. Well, Kelly, We're always encouraging our clients to involve other professionals, to have a financial team that can come together. And we talk a lot about who, not how, knowing who to talk to versus how you're going to do something. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got here and your story as a who? Yeah, so I've been practicing for 15 years. I've always really focused my practice on estate planning and elder law. Really, the elder law component has to do with long-term care, asset protection planning. From my perspective, when I entered the law, I wanted to help families. I didn't want to divide them. 
And so the focus of my business is essentially upon protecting and preserving all that you hold dear, whether that's financial assets, your family harmony. I want to work with families to make sure that they are protecting themselves as well as their loved ones and into the future, regardless of what they may encounter. I work in tandem a lot with financial advisors, such as John. John is there to help you build your wealth, have a financial blanket and security into your future. And I work with them to help to protect that and preserve that for both you and your future generations. And she's done a good job of it. And, you know, it's one of those things that you always like to get positive feedback. And whenever you recommend a fellow professional to do a job with clients that you've worked with for a long time, it's always nice to get a positive report back. And so I have gotten many, many positive reports back after our clients have met with Kelly and her firm. And so she's one of those professionals we like to call on again and again to help us when we need it. Thank you for that. And I absolutely can confirm that I received the exact same compliments about you and your services with your clients and ones that I've referred to you as well. And I think that's a big part of it is being able to work together toward the common goals of our clients. They are our primary responsibility and success. Well, and one of the things that I've always told clients is by allowing your professionals to collaborate, you talked, Kelly, about dividing families. Yet one of the things that I think can be incredibly difficult for a client is when you have two trusted advisors giving you different advice, because in some cases they don't have all the information. And so bringing people together and allowing them to collaborate, I think, is a big deal so that the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. And so that ultimately, I think it's fair to say that sometimes as educated, knowledgeable professionals, we may differ in opinion on how we might execute something. And so for us to be able to come together, have a conversation if need be, and give comprehensive advice together so that as a client, somebody can really take that and run with it versus trying to figure out what they're more comfortable with, I think has always been a big deal. Kelly, I think that for a lot of people, estate planning can be uncomfortable. I mean, I don't know what your experience is, but it feels uncomfortable sometimes. Where do you suggest that people get started? I can appreciate what you're saying. And I've heard that from clients before. For me, it's not uncomfortable. To be honest, when I was 18 years old, my father, my birthday present was a last will and testament. And so I've sort of had estate planning ingrained in me from an early age. That being said, if someone does find it uncomfortable, I think what someone needs to enter the situation with thoughts of is basically what you're trying to do is plan for your future, your own personal future and your family's future and your loved one's future. And with that being said, you need to think about what are your goals? You know, just like you talk to your financial advisor about your financial goals, you want to have the same goals in mind about in the future, if I'm unable to manage my finances, who do I trust to be able to do that for me in tandem with my financial advisor? Is it my wife? Is it a child? You're, again, not only looking at what happens when you pass away, but what may happen during your lifetime that you need to protect and plan against. And then, of course, once you pass away, you're looking to basically bestow an inheritance upon your loved ones, which is sort of your own legacy. So I think there can be a different way of looking at the estate planning process that may 
alleviate some of the overwhelming thoughts and feelings that people may have. I mean, it's death and disease, right? I mean, it's everyone's favorite two topics. Everybody wants to talk about that. It's easy to talk about and around anyone. You can talk to about it around your children or, you know, your loved ones. It seems to be just something that whenever we start talking about that here in the office, it tends to close people's mouths and you hear a lot of uncomfortable silences. And so it can be difficult to talk about, but a lot of times I find if you have the right professional in the room with you, they can help open your mouth back up and allow you to talk about things in a more easy way. And so that when you're thinking about Team Chip or Team Kelly or Team John, you want your professionals to work together and talk together and make it easier for you to do the same. But Kelly, when our clients are talking about what to do first, and let's pretend that we've got a case where they haven't done any estate planning at all yet, and they're starting from zero, which can be sometimes daunting and hard to do. What do you suggest that they do first? Is it the powers of attorney? Is it creating a will? Do they immediately need to create a trust? That seems to be the question that we get very frequently is, where do I go to create my trust? I mean, what are the things that they really need to have in mind to do first? For me personally, I put a strong level of importance on getting the documents in place that take care of you during your lifetime. Clients, oftentimes, they come into the situation, the scenario saying, well, if I die, well, it's not a question of if, it's when. But the further question is, what if I don't die? What if I become disabled? If you don't have those living documents in place, such as the general power of attorney, where you appoint someone to make legal and financial decisions on your behalf. If you don't have a healthcare power of attorney, where you appoint someone to make medical decisions if you're unable to communicate with doctors. Those are really important documents that you have in place to take care of you during your lifetime, where you can exercise your own autonomy while you're able to, instead of leaving it to the courts to decide who's going to make those decisions for you. I'm a strong proponent of having those documents in place earlier than later. Don't wait until you have some medical uncertainty to put those documents in place. Have them in place when you have children. For Pete's sake, if you get in a car accident, you need to make sure that you've appointed someone to be able to make these decisions for yourself and on behalf of your family. It protects everyone by protecting yourself. Beyond that, yes, the automatic question of anyone who enters my office is, I know I probably need a will, but do we need to talk about a trust? Well, that depends upon your assets and how they're held. John, of course, you know, with a lot of different investment accounts, you're able to put beneficiary designations on those. When you do that, that alleviates the need for probate. So whether we're talking about a will or a trust may have to do with how your assets are held and whether or not they're considered probate assets. But also the further conversation is, what are your goals for the future? Do you have concerns about your beneficiaries? Are you leaving money to minors? Are you leaving an inheritance to someone who may have special needs? Someone who may have substance abuse issues? Someone who may just be a poor money manager? Those are all reasons that we may look more toward a trust where we can provide guided inheritance as opposed to outright inheritance. And then, of course, the amount of assets is always something to be taken into consideration as well. And another thing that often doesn't cross people's minds, but is certainly at the top of mind, is leaving assets and inheritance in a creditor-protected manner. 
maybe they're absolutely fine right now. But maybe upon your passing, after your passing, they are starting to go through a divorce. If you want to protect the inheritance that you leave behind for them and your potential grandchildren, you need to leave it in a protected manner so that the soon-to-be ex-spouse isn't able to claim some of those assets as part of equitable distribution upon divorce. Your beneficiary may end up getting in a car wreck and being found liable and have a judgment against them. These are all reasons that people will leave inheritance and creditor-protected trusts to their beneficiaries, regardless of any other concerns that may otherwise be there. Going back to one of the things you said in your opening, if you will, is really having that conversation from a planning perspective of what is it that's important to you and what are you trying to accomplish? Because one of the things that you said that I don't think gets necessarily enough airtime is the idea that one of the things that we probably want to pass on is harmony among our beneficiaries. The old joke is if you ever really want to get to know somebody, share an inheritance with them, you find out pretty quickly. And we've all seen situations like that. And so with a thoughtful process, Kelly, it seems to me like it allows you to really put together the different components in place when you're working towards an outcome that somebody wants. I've told John before, my granddad's estate plan and philosophy was, it's mine until I die, and then you can worry about it. And as a result, we literally are the only family I know, having worked now with a thousand or so probably over the course of my career, who literally had to sell the family farm to pay the death tax. So it's one of those things that when you work backwards from the outcome, like you were talking about before, not just the pure financial components, but also kind of those second level consequences, it makes a big, big difference. It absolutely does. And I believe that if you have a thoughtful estate plan in place, then your family will better respect whatever the outcome is that you ultimately, that's your goal and that you want to achieve. If you have no estate plan in place, or if someone else creates the estate plan on your behalf, that will most certainly lead to disharmony and distrust among family members, as opposed to you taking the time to conscientiously put an estate plan in place. Family members will have a greater acceptance of whatever that is, because you're right. It's your money until you pass away. It's up to you to decide if you determine what's going to happen when you're gone or if you leave it for the wolves. Yeah, I normally say everybody has an estate plan. The only question is whether or not you chose it. What I used to do was show folks where the money in the federal budget goes. These days, I'd be embarrassed to show people that, so I'm not looking to get into all that. But for folks who have to pay a portion of it in taxes due to poor planning, all you need to do is look at the budget of the government, and it's being divided up amongst all those things that our tax dollars go to. So I, I think that that makes a big difference. Kelly, what are some of the things that you've seen, maybe some situations where folks have ended up, maybe they didn't get to you in time and you're dealing with the heirs. So you didn't necessarily do the planning, but you're seeing some of the byproducts of poor planning. What are some of the big pitfalls or mistakes that you've seen people make that have caused rifts in family after the fact? One example would be the unfortunate individual who decided to draft their own will. 
and basically said, I have a spouse and I leave everything to my spouse. And if my spouse has predeceased me, I have three children and named their children and then signed it. Well, one of the listed children was actually a stepchild. Since there was no provision about these are my three children, I leave my assets to these three children. The stepchild, who presumably was supposed to be included in the inheritance, was excluded due to lack of familial bloodline. So that was basically just inheritance due to self-planning, shall we say. Then you have, of course, the person who does nothing at all, sort of like you described. And that's never good because oftentimes it's going to be the surviving spouse or the children who are coming into the inheritance. What people don't seem to get is just because you're married doesn't mean that your surviving spouse is going to automatically inherit everything. If you have no estate plan in place, and if all of your accounts aren't joint, then the North Carolina statutes are going to govern what happens to your money. And if you have children, then it's very possible that they're going to inherit a substantial portion of your assets. And sadly, I see that most often with the husband and wife with minor children. They just haven't invested in estate planning because they're young, their children are young, and they're going to live forever. And so sadly, children who are minors will end up receiving a portion of the inheritance. And then that becomes court overseen and it becomes a nightmare. Whereas if you just simply invest in a estate plan where at least you have a last will and testament in place with provisions for minors and trusts for the benefit of minors, then you can alleviate all that pain of having to deal with clerk of court oversight, their fees, the public nature of it. It's a game changer. And parents of young children are so focused on earning their own money and providing for their family's future that they don't think about this added consequence that could befall anyone at any point. Those are a couple of examples. John, how about you? What are some of the more interesting, let's say, situations that you've seen as a result of not doing planning? Well, it just depends on the situation, but I will point out, I think it would be bad for me not to point out that for Pete's sake is the closest we will get to cursing on this show. So I just wanted to point that out for future reference, just in case anybody's counting. But I think, like Kelly said, the not planning part is probably one of the worst offenders that I can think of and not really leaving everything to chance, but not really taking the time to plan properly beforehand. I've also had a couple cases where outside life insurance policies or outside annuities that clients purchased before coming to me, beneficiaries were never changed. And so the assets of the life insurance policy or the annuity were left to ex-spouses or mothers who were no longer alive or parents that were no longer alive. You know, those kinds of things that just a simple form and a signature and a date would have taken care of that issue and helped them avoid something that they didn't want to have happen. And so it's mostly just paperwork, you know, most of the time, taking the time to review what you've got, to look at what you have and properly complete the paperwork to make the change. If we go into some of the other common questions that we get here in the office, Kelly, as you know, we have a lot of people that move here from out of state that did not live in North Carolina when their estate planning documents were created. A third of all states now have their own estate taxes. 
what are some of the things that our clients need to look at or deal with or need help with their estate planning documents when they move here from another state like Pennsylvania or Connecticut or New Hampshire or New Jersey or one of the other countless states that people are relocating from? First and foremost, if you have out-of-state documents, you need to have them reviewed by a state planning attorney in the state where you're now newly residing. State laws differ. And so you just need to have your estate plan reviewed by a competent estate plan attorney in the state where you move. That being said, one thing I do want to the piggy tail off of you on, and this is very important. I tell people every three years, you should review your documents. You really should. You may have no changes. Just look back over them and make sure that they're still what you want, regardless of moving to another state. And the reason I say that is because nothing may have changed in your life, but maybe you have a grandchild that you just don't even think about wasn't in your estate plan to begin with. Maybe you've had a change in circumstance. I mean, I'm not saying you won the lottery, but maybe you nearly retired and you need to revisit things. Hopefully you're meeting with your financial advisor, John, at that point to go over things anyway. That is the perfect time that you should be reviewing your estate plan, regardless of how many years it's been since you last looked at it. But also when I piggyback off you, what I was going to say is change in family circumstances. If you get divorced, if you get remarried, you need to review your estate plan. And 9.9 times out of 10, it's going to be recommended that you update it. Another big potential casualty is that if you get remarried and you have children from your first marriage, most people want to make sure that they are not going to disinherit their children, but they still want to provide for their new second spouse. So if you get remarried and you change your estate plan and you say, I want everything to go to my surviving spouse and then to my kids. Well, if you pass away first and you leave everything outright to your surviving spouse, they very well could unknowingly have left everything to their children and your children received nothing. So that is one of those times where when we talk about, oh, do we need a will or a trust? 10 times out of 10, I'm probably going to lean toward a trust where you can leave stuff for the benefit of your newlywed surviving spouse, but ultimately put it in concrete, whatever is left upon their passing goes back to your children. The second marriage component with children from a prior marriage obviously is a pretty common occurrence these days. And I don't think that people are as aware of the nuances that are required with that type of estate planning as they would be if they're in a first marriage, you know, with children by both spouses. So I recommend reviewing your estate plan every three years. I think it's worthwhile. It won't take long. What it sounds like to me, I mean, the big word that I would use to encompass a lot of this is just communication. Communication with yourself, between you and your spouse, between you and your children, between you and your financial advisor, between you and your team, your state planning attorney, the people that are in your team, just communicate and make things known. And unfortunately, as we've talked about before, Chip, this is something that people just don't enjoy talking about. So they don't communicate. Do you have any tips or tricks for people to make this process easier or more straightforward with all your years of experience? I would just point out, it's not that hard. As Kelly pointed out earlier, death has a 100% success rate. There is no question whether or not we and our families are going to have to deal with these things. And I just wanted to touch on, John, 
Kelly's point of reviewing your documents every three years, to review your documents is not an expensive thing. It's you sitting down, reviewing it, and if you do it every three years, it hasn't been so long that you completely forgot the conversation that you had with your attorney when you were drafting them. We can keep up with that. It's reviewing it and saying, is this still what I want? Because we do it, and again, I'm glad you touched on that, Kelly, because we do it a lot with financial plans because life keeps changing. And as a result, we're constantly updating financial plans. If you don't then make sure that that carries over to your legacy planning, then you can have done a lot of the front end work to see the back end not get executed properly. Yeah, I think we've all seen a lot of that. I think the biggest thing, John, you mentioned communication. I think the other thing that I would just point out kind of as we begin to wind down is slow down. This is important stuff. We're all really busy. We all, as professionals, we specialize in dealing with busy people. Slow down. Make sure that you've reviewed things. I can speak for John and me. Drop them off with us. Let us have a look and just remind you, if you're too busy to read it, drop it off. Let us have a conversation with you about what it says and get you in touch with or circle back on the areas where you need to with your attorney. Or let your advisor and your attorney talk about it and let you know if you're that busy. But it's one of those things that I think that we all see people delay the planning because we're too busy. And then if we're not careful, then we delay the execution. So we've got a good plan, but a big part of this stuff is execution, changing beneficiaries, funding trusts. It doesn't help to do all the planning if you don't do any of the execution. And so I would just encourage anybody who's listening, it's worth taking the time to stop and just make sure that what you have is what you want. Because otherwise, there are very few things that are irreversible. But dying with the wrong estate plan is one of those few things that you can't up and undo. John Kelly, any final thoughts? My final thought is pretty much circling back to the beginning, which is if you have a team that's helping you along the way, if you have your financial advisor and estate planning attorney, you know, CPA that's helping you toward your goal and they're all in communication, I think that you are well set toward a successful future and meeting all of your goals. And John and I are both in the same boat where we're happy to work with each other to make sure that our clients are successful and whatever their objectives are. Well said. And, you know, for Pete's sake, slow down, right, Chip? It's really hard to do. It's just as hard to talk about, to slow down as it is to talk about all these things. But I guess pick one or the other, whichever one is least hard. Well, it's one of those things that there are certain things that are worth doing. And this is one of those. Whether you do it a little bit at a time or you set a date on your calendar once a year, it's just an important thing to have these conversations because it can eliminate an awful lot of heartache speaking from lots of both my own and client experience, an ounce of prevention is definitely worth a pound of cure. So glad to have you, Kelly. If people want to see you or touch base or follow up, fourpillarslawfirm.com? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Fourpillarslawfirm.com. We are there to help you protect and preserve all that you hold dear. 
Thank you for being with us. John, it was great spending another Friday with you, my friend. I can't wait until the next one. Let's do it. There we have it. Another great episode. If you'd like to continue the conversation, here are four ways that we can help. First, complete the Retirement Success Scorecard to discover whether or not you're on track to a successful retirement on your terms. You can find this at signaturewealth.com scorecard. Second, get a complimentary copy of my book, The Retirement Remix. Whether you're interested in real-life retirement stories and inspiration from others like you, or you want to learn more about Medicare and Social Security, it's all in there. Go to theretirementremix.com to grab your copy. Third, listen in on bi-weekly office hours with our team. We host live virtual office hours to share new investment and planning information and answer your money, markets, and retirement questions. Find the details to join us at signaturewealth.com slash office hours. And fourth, schedule a complimentary strategy call with one of our advisors to make sure you're on track toward your ideal retirement. Go to signaturewealth.com and select the Signature Wealth office closest to you. We'll be back here next week for more on the Retirement Remix. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.